John chapter 8, verses 39 through 59. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which, of, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How is everyone today? So last week, last weekend, Memorial Day, is nine years that we've been going to this church and, you know, not once when we first came here did I imagine that I would be standing up here at this point teaching this morning. But I really feel like I've learned a lot from Pastor Ray over the years. In fact, recently I've, I've really been watching him carefully. And that's why when I realized my message might go long, I had the ushers lock the doors as soon as worship was over. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of where we are in John, but next week we're going to be uh, talking about a story about uh, Jesus walking with his disciples. And as they were walking, they came across a blind man who was on the side of the road. And the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, who sinned in this man's life that he was born blind? Was it his parents or was it other family members? And I know that Right now, there are some people sitting in here asking that same question. Lord, in what way did I sin that I have to listen to Luke for the next <laughs> hour and a half? Uh, I, I, I do actually have a really good reason why I think you should consider what I have to say, um, at least a little bit. I, you know, the Bible says daily that we are to become more and more like Jesus. And I really feel like with this hair and beard combo, I'm, I'm on my way. I, I, I have something as a little bit of proof. Sit. I mean, it's close. Um, and, and if this is not enough, I have, um, I have a few more. Now, that's not, that's not Jesus. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. But... But still the likeness, 
you know. So why, why am I going on about this? Why have I driven this joke into the ground, right? It's because as a people, every day we struggle with our identity. Who am I? What is my value? Why am I worth something? And it, and it, it, it drives so much of our actions day to day. And, and specifically what we're talking about today, so much of who we are is determined by our family, right? We, you know, if, if, if you have a, a strong family and a good upbringing, that will build confidence into a child that will take them into adulthood. And, and a, the opposite, a bad childhood will send us to therapy and give us coping mechanisms to try to deal with all of our problems into adulthood and beyond. And, and just to, to, to wander off slightly, I know I haven't started yet and I'm already wandering off, but just to wander off slightly, so much of it has to do with our marriage, right? A marriage based off of love and respect it will create a family of joy and happiness, even in difficult times. And I remember as a child, there was one summer in particular, we would ride our bikes to church every day or every week. And it was here in Phoenix, and it was in the summer, and it was about eight miles. And so we rode our bikes from 80th Avenue in Thomas to somewhere near 27th Avenue in Indian School. And... Those were some of the best times. I remember such good times doing that. And I'm one of seven kids. And so you can imagine my parents loading up seven kids on a bikes. And one of them was too small to ride, so they rode in the, uh, in the little seat on the back of the bike. And we would load up our bikes, and we'd ride our bikes for an hour to church, and then we'd stay in church for a couple hours, and then we'd ride our bikes home from church. And it was so much fun. And I remember such good times from that. I didn't know that we did that because we didn't have a car big enough to fit everybody in the car. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that, I, that there was any lack because it was a family of love and happiness and joy. And so I remember good times from that. But the flip side of that is that a marriage that's based off of one-upsmanship and ridicule, that, that makes a household that's mostly bitterness and anger and fear and resentment because i got to fight to survive and there's nobody that cares about me, right? And, and it's, it's why marriage is so difficult because when we grow up, we almost have like this little universe that we live in right, our traditions and how we do things, and we, we only know what we were taught growing up. It's why you, when you go to somebody else's house the first time, you're like, and you come home and you're like, mom, they make this completely wrong. You, just, you should see what they do, right? And, and it's, it's weird because you, you find somebody and you're like, I love you so much and I want to spend the rest of my life with you and I want to do life with you. And then you wake up and discover you have married a monster that puts their bread in the fridge and not the pantry where it's supposed to go. Right? It's just you take these two universes and you smash them together and you just kind of hope something good comes out of it. And so... Oh, I have a note here from Matt, shamelessly plug Love Your Marriage. We have a class coming up called Love Your Marriage. It starts on the 11th, um, and for fathers, we have uh, Men's 33, which coming up is, is uh, 5 and 6, chapter 5 and 6, not chapter, whatever it is, 5 and 6, and so they're about family and, and your marriage, so shamelessly plug out of the way. So what is the gist of our message today? Um, I have it up here. You can read along with me. There are two families and two humanities. We are born into a family of darkness, sin, and suffering. You simply need to look out into the world around you to see this family and what it brings. But God loved us so much, though, that he would not leave us to that faith. Through God's grace and faith, we are adopted into a new family. So what we're going to look at today in the text, Jesus kind of gives us characteristics of what his family looks like. And in this conversation that he has with the Pharisees, we're going to see what they've built 
their foundation on, their worth and their justification versus what Jesus says we're to build our, our foundation and our worth on. And so you have these two families that we're going to contrast and compare. So we're going to start, we're going to read uh, verses 39 and 40. And it says, They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So what is the works that Abraham did? Um, it references this in Romans 4.3, and that's actually a quote from Genesis 15.6. And this is... Wait... I've got to give you their fill-in-the-blank first. Our first fill-in-the-blank is the characteristic of the family of God is a family that believes in Jesus. So, what was the foundation that the Pharisees had built their life on? What was their response to him initially? It was, well, Abraham is my father. And that was, that was their justification. Their justification wasn't actually a belief in a God who saves them. It was my heritage. Abraham is my father. That's who the family that I was born into, and that's the family that will save me. But if you look at the passage of Abraham, the passage of Abraham doesn't say Abraham was Terah's son, and thus he was saved, Right? And our next fill in the blank is what it says. It says, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So you have the Pharisees who have built their life and everything on the family of Abraham. Abraham is my father, and thus I am saved. Abraham's heritage didn't do anything actually for him. In fact, if you look a little further past Abraham, you see when the Israelites first came out of Egypt... Moses, God had Moses set in Aaron as the high priest. And so if there were a hierarchy, you would see God, you would see Moses, and you would see Aaron. And so as part of that, Aaron's sons were set in as priests as well. Now, who knows what happened to Aaron's sons, right? So Aaron's sons, they also had a belief that my father is the high priest, and I can basically do what I want. Their belief was not in the God who established the nation of Israel. And so it says they brought unauthorized fire to the, author, to the altar, or to the author. Um, and so there were strong requirements on people who are put in charge. And so they were set in, and their belief was built on Aaron as my father, and so I can do what I want. And if you don't like it, you can go talk to my dad. But when they came and they brought this fire to the altar, it says fire came out from the altar and consumed them. And so that's what happens when we try to build our foundation on something that's not God. That very thing is going to come back out and it's going to consume us. I can't say... Like, I can't build my foundation on anything at that. I can't say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm American, or, yeah, I'm Christian, I'm a Republican, or, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Democrat, or I go to church every week, I was raised in the church, of course I'm a Christian, right? But if that is a shaky foundation, then that's not a foundation that's going to save us. And so I want to wander back off slightly again. I mean, it's mostly on topic, but our next fill in the blank is our children's faith is not ours, and our faith is not somebody else's. I will stand before God myself. My son will stand before God by himself. I won't be there to try to help answer questions for him. I won't be like, no, no, Nathan, you're saying it wrong. God, let me... Let me explain for him. He doesn't really quite understand, right? That won't be me. He will stand before God himself, and my faith will not save him. And consequently, his faith will not save me. We will all stand before God on our own. And we can't just assume that, well, I brought my kids to church, and so my faith will just become their faith. 
Because that's not the way it works. They have to know a personal relationship with Jesus. And if my children don't know a personal relationship with Jesus, then when they stand before him, he will send them away regardless of my faith. And so, so without this faith, without this foundation, unbelievers, they have to try to justify their worth in some other way. They have to try to build up their own pedestal to stand on. And you look at who... Just, just look at the last couple years of culture tearing down people who were idolized for hundreds of years to say, well, this person was a slave owner, or this person was this, or this person was that. Because if we try to, if we try to lift somebody up on a pedestal, then that pedestal can always be torn down. Look at somebody who we idolize today. You take a look at, like, Steve Jobs, Right? Steve Jobs built what is now one of the richest companies in the world. He, I don't have my phone with me, but I mean, I have the watch that they make, and I have the phone that they make, and I have a computer they make, and I have an iPad that they make. And people will idolize Steve Jobs and say, look at the great things that he made. Steve Jobs' first daughter and her mother lived in poverty for more than a decade because Steve Jobs refused to acknowledge their existence, fought a paternity test, and it wasn't until she was nearly an adult that he even acknowledged her. And so, but when the world looks at him, they look at this pedestal that he's built upon, and here's Steve Jobs with a crumbling pedestal beneath him. And so, and that's what's what's happened here, is these Pharisees have tried to build up this pedestal you know, think about when it says, and, and I, can't remember, I can't remember where it's at, but it, it says how these people went and they tried to cast out a demon. And the demon was like, well, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but I don't know you. And it says they chased him away, right? And so our foundation, if it's not a foundation based in God, if it's not a foundation based in our faith and our belief in Christ, then it's a foundation that will crumble beneath us. So let's go back to our scripture. We're going to start in verse 41. It says, You are doing the works of your, that your father did. This is Jesus talking to them. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So, now, as, as Jesus starts chipping away at their pedestal that they're standing on, now they're, they're getting a little shaky here, and they start to go after Jesus directly. Why did they say, I was not born of sexual immorality? Right? The, the Israelite community was a fairly small community. You probably knew most of the people. And as Jesus' stature rose, these Pharisees are going out, and they're trying to find out who Jesus is. And they're like, wait, Jesus was born on this date? And his mom was married on this date? Ooh, Jesus. Those dates don't add up. And so now it's not just like, Jesus, who, what are you talking about? Now, now they're trying to tear him down as he chips away at their foundation and, and, and their very life. And so... Let me find my place here. So our uh, second point is that the second characteristic of the family of God is based on a love for Jesus. And, and when we experience the love of Jesus, if we understand the sacrifice and the price that's paid for our salvation, it's, it's not something that you just brush off, right? It's not something that you ignore or turn away from. In 2008, when the economy collapsed, um, I didn't so much, I, I wasn't so much fired from my job as my boss just quit paying me and answering his phone. <laughs> and so, and he lived in California, so, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, and so we had to find a, a new job. And the new job that we found, you know, as, as stuff collapsed and crumbled all around us, the foundations of the world began to fall apart. I had to find a new job, and so I got a new job, and it paid a third less than what we were making. And so we lost our house, 
and we lost, uh, we had to file for bankruptcy. We had to move. And so not long after uh, that happened, I was driving to work and I got into a car accident. And my car was like 10 years old. And so the insurance company said, your car is worth $1,500. Here's $1,500 to buy a new car. And so there's not a lot of car you can buy for $1,500. So I took $750 of that and I bought myself a motorcycle. I thought I'll save on gas. Yeah, it's old, but, you know, we'll get by. And then the motorcycle broke down. And so here we are in this situation and I, I had picked up a side job in, during this time. And the guy that I was working for on the side job, he had, I'd kind of gotten it through my main job. So he had called us and he said, well, come down and meet me at this place. And so we went down there and he bought us a car. So this was like 2009, maybe 2010 at this point. And he bought us a 2007 Honda Civic. He paid for it in cash. He handed us the title. There was no strings attached. There was nothing. He paid the taxes on it. So we didn't have to, we just walked away from the dealership, or drove away in this case. We drove away from the dealership in this car that was nicer than anything we had ever owned. And it was not something that we paid for. And so when somebody buys you lunch, you're like, hey, man, thanks for lunch. But if somebody buys you a car, you're like, I don't know what to say. Thank you. You know, what? I, thank you. I, write them a letter. I, I don't know. What do you do? You know, it's not like, oh, I'll throw my other cars. You know, this was a major thing for us. It was something that we couldn't have done. But that gift pales in comparison to what Jesus did for us. And so if I see and understand what Jesus did for me, I cannot help but say, thank you, Jesus. And a love for Jesus, a love that's poured out onto us, that will overflow to the people around us, or it should. A love that changes us like that. And, and the problem is, Oh, I messed my notes up. Well, it doesn't matter. So let's go back to the scripture then. Always safe to go back to the Bible. All right, verse 43, and I have this up here. Why do you not understand what I say? Oh, I get it. I skipped one of my fill-in-the-blanks, that's why. Let's go back one slide. It is, we cannot help nailing it. We cannot help but love others after encountering the love of Jesus. Uh, 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Right? And so our first characteristic is a faith in Jesus. Our second characteristic is a love of Jesus. So let's look at what our third characteristic is in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. Jesus is picking it up a notch here. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? So the third characteristic of the family of God is that it's a family that is confronted by Jesus. Now, Timothy Keller says, If your God never disagrees with you, you may just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people walk around right now and they say, You know, I don't go to church and I don't believe in religion, but I'm very spiritual. And I believe that's going to save me. Right? I'm very spiritual. I, I, just love, I just love people. I have such a big heart. And I embrace my warmth. <laughs> but our next fill in the blank is when we are confronted by truth, we will embrace it or we will fight it. 
And so you see that in the world. When people come face to face with Jesus and his saving grace, then they will embrace that and they will say, I need this. Or they will fight you tooth and nail. In the parable of the sower, it says, Some heard the words but fled from the truth when life got difficult. And sometimes life gets difficult because of God's word. And so we're going to come face to face with that truth. But here's the thing. What does it mean that we're confronted by Jesus? Is that like, is that like the owner of a store who caught somebody stealing and they stand over you and go, what are you doing? You know you're not supposed to do that. Get out of here. Is that the confrontation by Jesus we have? No, here's the real confrontation by Jesus. If I experience God's love, and if I feel the weight and the awe of the love and grace, that will slam headfirst into my own selfishness and sin. The confrontation is not Jesus standing up scolding me like a little boy. The confrontation is the love that I see And I have to turn around and look at the mirror and think, I am not who God wants. I am not worthy of of who he wants me to be. And it changes us. But the thing is, is the longer we become Christians, we can kind of drift away from that knowledge, right? And so... In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we sit back as Christians and we're like, yeah, you're not getting in. You're not good enough. My dad wants good people. I'm good. You're not good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be so happy when I see you get what you deserve. Because I've been watching you. I know what you deserve, and God's going to give it to you. Except that, that that's not where the verse ends. The next part of the verse says, And such were some of you. And it's like, Oh, I forgot. I'm a sinner. It says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so our next fill in the blank is we will begin to see others as God sees us. Because I can't say, if, I, if I'm living in the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has poured out on me, I can't look at somebody and say, you're a sinner, you don't deserve this. Because I was the wretch, and I was the sinner. And when I know what God did for me, I know he can do it for you. And so mine is not a cast-you-out attitude. It is a let me show you what God has. Let me tell you what God did for me, because he can do it for you. And and I'm not going to leave somebody else to their own problems because I lived in those problems and I lived in that darkness and I won't say you're unworthy because so was I and that quickly brings us to our next fill in the blank which is God's love produces real change real life change in us first Peter 4 8 says above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins And so God's love covered a multitude of my sins. And so as I walk around in that love and that overflows from me, then that same God's love that covered my sins, that will cover your sins too. And so we can be in the light together. If telling people how awful they were actually worked, wouldn't the world already be perfect? Because I can walk around anywhere and hear how bad I am. 
I can look at, look at anywhere. Oh, look at your skin. Oh, look at your hair. Oh, look at your, you know, before I uh, came up here, I was in the, I went into the bathroom and I was like trying to fix my beard and my hair to make myself look less homeless. <laughs> and, you know, it's, 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 like, it's like when you're fighting with your wife and you just say, look, you're just being unreasonable. Then she'll realize she was being unreasonable and she'll be like, you're right. I was. Let's move on. That's how it works, right? Because telling people how awful they are, that's all you need to do. Let me just tell you how wrong you are, and we'll all be friends. But the reality is, uh, we were, uh, not long after we were married, me and Amanda used to drive around because we were married, and uh, she would be like, watch out, that car's breaking. And I'd be like, I know. And she'd be like, hey, this is our street. And we'd be like, I know. And she'd be like, wait, there's a person. And I'm like, yes, I know, because they're in front of me. And I can see. And, and one night in particular, we were driving home, and she said, here's our apartment. And I was like, yeah, I know, because I lived there for years. I know where we live. You don't need to point it out to me. Because I know. And she said, Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that. And I was like, Oh, bye. Because she, if she had argued with me, then I would have been fine. I could have I gone on like, I know where we live. But she didn't. She took a humble attitude, and she apologized. And then I had to face the reality, now I'm the jerk. (laughs) And that's what the confrontation is. We're confronted by love, and I have to say, I'm not living up to that. That's not who I've been. I have to look at my own sin and say, what a wretch am I? And God, change me. Help me to see other people like you see them. When I see the pain that I caused, not that the world caused, that I caused, when I see that pain in somebody, and I'm confronted by the love that Jesus gave me, and I say, Lord, forgive me. Change my life. So we're going we're gonna to go back to the scripture here, verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, now look at what's happening here. As Jesus continually chips away at their foundation, first it's like, Jesus, you're an idiot. And then it's like, uh, Jesus, I know what's, what was happening when you were born, right? You don't have any room to talk. And now it's escalated to, are we not right that you have a demon? Now it's, now it's become, you're not just wrong and stupid, but you're actually dangerous, And as Christians live out their values, that's what we will face at times. It's like, everybody just believe what they want. Ooh, but not you. Your belief is dangerous. Your belief is wrong. Your belief hurts people because that belief is the truth. And when we're confronted by that truth, we're going to fight it or we're going to embrace it. And so, so my next uh, fill-in-the-blank, 
the fourth characteristic of the family of God is that it's one that keeps the words of Jesus. If you look at the parable of the man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand, is this a parable about the saved and the unsaved? Because what it actually says is everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In the parable, the man who built his house on the sand is not necessarily the unbeliever. Because here's the thing, the demons believe in Jesus. Satan himself, Satan knows God in a way that I will not until I stand before him. And yet, Satan knew God that way In standing before him, Satan thought, I think I could take this guy. I'm going to make a run of him. And you know what happened there. That was like Satan going, I think... There, There was no war of the heavens. There was Satan rising up and God swatting him away like a fly. And so, so what foundation am I now going to build my life on? It talks about Adam and Eve. It says they walked with God and talked with him in the cool of the garden. And so when the fall of Adam and Eve came, it didn't come when they were walking in the cool of the garden. It came when God was off somewhere else and they were by themselves and they're thinking, man, we're hot stuff. We got this garden. This life is pretty good. I'm going to go eat this apple. Right? It's, it's when we wander away from God that the fall happens. When we're living, when we're keeping the words of God, we are safe on the foundation of the rock of Christ. It's when I walk off to follow something that looks shiny that I walk off into danger. Our next fill in the blank is keeping the words is more than just hearing. Sometimes we sit in church week in and week out and you're like, oh, I've heard this before, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow, or I'm thinking about, oh, i got people coming over, i got to clean the house. Or we wake up during the week, and I think, oh, i got this project, oh, i got this, oh, i got to get the kids ready. And we don't make time for the Word, and we don't make time for prayer. And when that happens, that is us chasing something else. That's us chasing the squeaky wheel in our life, because I'm just like, look, if I take care of this, it'll just shut up, and then I can read and pray later. But when the, when the hard times come, because the, the, the parable of the house on the rock or the sand is about the hard times. And so when the hard times come, is that email that I did? Is that project that I finished? Is the floor that I swept? Is that what's going to save me? Is that what's going to help me when I need help when the troubled times comes? No, it's the time that I spend in prayer and in the word to know who God is and to trust. You know, if I go back to that year in 2008 when we lost pretty much everything, the one thing that we had was a knowledge that Jesus had always taken care of us. And there was no anxiety in our life during that time. Because here's what I didn't tell you. Not only did somebody buy us a car, but, but somebody wanted to buy and rent a house. And they told us, hey, I want to buy and rent a house. Will you go find a house for me? And then we picked out the house that we rented. And they rented it to us for half of what our mortgage was. And so when, when I lost my job, when all this stuff happened, we were never anxious about it because we said God has always taken care of us and he will take care of us up to this point. So we're not going to walk away from that. So we're going to dive back into our scripture here. We're going to go to uh, verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. 
but I do know him and I keep his words. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. So here's Jesus coming in with the last thing, right? He has been chipping away at their foundation. And he uses this name for himself, I am. Now, the first time that name was used was when God told Moses to go before Pharaoh. And Moses said, this is the mightiest person in the land. I was literally run out of this country for fear of my life. Who am I going to go to him and say, told me to come? And God said, you tell him, I am sent you. Because there's no description for God. There's no imagining God. God is the I am. And when Jesus, these guys, these guys are like, as they talk to Jesus, their foundation is crumbling. And Jesus hits them with this last one. He knows that they know what this name means. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And this, this was like, they saw red at this point. It says they just picked up whatever stone was nearest to them to throw at Jesus. They're like, I'm going to kill this man. Now, I, can, I don't know what, what, how the stone layout was at the time. Like, do they have a bag of stones just in case? Or are they like, I can only assume it took them a minute because it said Jesus hid himself and left the temple. So I can only assume they were like scrambling around for a stone. But Jesus knew what he was coming out with. And he knew that he had taken the last bit that they had out from underneath them. And so they, they were going to fight him with everything they had because they were confronted by Jesus and their entire foundation that they had built their life on was taken out from underneath them. The world doesn't hate us because we love Jesus. The world hates us because we reject what they hold dear. They reject it, or we reject it, and they cannot stand that. And so our last five characteristics of the family of God is it is a family that lives for the glory of Jesus. The family of God believes in Jesus, is loved by, and thus loves Jesus. It is confronted by that love, and in the face of such love, we must face our own sinfulness and want to change Not because we were berated into it, but because we have no other response. When we understand that love, we want more of Jesus. And we will find him in his words, and we will want to do his works and walk out his will so that others might find that saving grace. This is the life lived that results in living for the glory of Jesus. If I am following all the other four, my life, will be one that lives for the glory of Jesus. So when you say, well, how do I live the Christian life? You believe, and you love, and you face that love, and you keep his words, and you will walk out that life. But sometimes, as believers, we make bad decisions. And sometimes we spend time in the wrong house, we have, we have, in this life, we have two houses open and available to us. And we have a choice how much time we spend in either house. And if you look at your life, do the characteristics of your life line up with the family that God has created? Or does it line up with the family that the world creates? If you look at the characteristics of your life, does it point to dwelling in God's presence? Or does it feel like you're struggling to get by every single day like everyone else? Because life is a struggle. 
Life is not an easy thing. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, life, could you go a little easier on me today? And so the last thing I want to focus on is another name of God. And so God has a lot of names throughout the Bible. And Jesus is the first to use this name in particular. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, every other time the disciples would ask him, Jesus, just do this. Or the Pharisees would say, just do this. And Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. But here Jesus was three years later in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his time had come. And he knew. He knew what stood before him. And he uttered a name. Abba, Father. And so we don't really have a good translation of that name. You know, when it comes to translating from one language to another, in English we say, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love pizza. (laughs) And those aren't really the same thing. And we don't really have a name that describes what Abba Father means. It is this deep love and connection that Jesus had with him. You know, we say dad, but this is more like, this is more like the equivalent of like an old-fashioned, when kids used to say papa. This is like, it's, it's, it, it, even, even as an, an, an adult, when this name was used, it was this affection and respectful term. It was like, papa, come on. And as a child, it was papa. And so if you've ever had kids or maybe even just had younger people come up to you and they look at you and they have a pain in their eyes and whatever they say what they mean is make it better can you make it better and this was Jesus in his darkest hour when he knew what was coming and he said Papa I'm scared now I don't want to imagine what Jesus was thinking but the man sat in the garden sweating blood And there was a certain amount of anxiety that rested on him because he knew what was coming. He probably knew in vivid detail what he was about to suffer. But the thing that he said is, you know, this was his whole purpose for coming down to earth. And yet when he stood there in the garden on his knees before God, and he said, Papa, if there's a way, if there was some other way, Take this cup from me. But he said, if not, then your will be done. That was the love that he had for us. And this this name is not used again for some time. The next time it's used is in Romans 8.15. And it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There is a father who loves us. Maybe your dad wasn't the best. Maybe your dad left. Maybe your dad wasn't around. But there is a father who loves us. There is a father who has built a family off of joy and love and respect. We were alone in the darkness, wallowing in our sin and shame. And we had no hope and we had no life. And God's grace and mercy and his salvation brought us into that family. And now we are his children, and we can call him Abba Father. And maybe you're feeling right now like you're sitting in the darkness. And maybe you don't know that love. Maybe you've never accepted Christ And maybe you are walking alone right now. Or maybe you spent too much time in that house. Maybe you were saved a long time ago and the the cares and the problems of the world have pulled you away. And you long for that relationship. And maybe nobody has told you this before. And so I'm going to tell you that you're not a mistake and that you are not a problem. 
God created you. God himself, the creator of the universe, stooped down, picked up dirt, and molded you. You are not a mistake. You are who he wants you to be. You were created with a purpose. And we need you. Because God brought you here. It says, for such a time, for such a place, you are brought here. When Joshua stood before the people of Israel, before they were going into the promised land, he said, God sets before you the choice between life and death. Choose life. And so God stands before you today with a choice of what house you want to live in, of what family you want to be a part of, of who you want your life to reflect. The choice of life and death sits before you. Choose life. So we're going to pray. And if you are feeling tired, if you are feeling hurt, if you are feeling hopeless, then we will pray with you and we will walk beside you. God does not call you to walk alone in the darkness, but God calls us as a family. And so I'm going to be up here, and there will be other elders up here, and if you want somebody to talk to or pray with, we will pray with you. It is not too late. So Lord, we thank you for the love, the sacrifice, the mercy, the grace. Lord, everything that you've poured out on us, everything that we weren't, Help us to be those people. Help us to walk in that light. Help us to be that light for someone else around us. Lord, help us to be like you in this place. Help us to love like you loved us. Help us to see others like you see us. And help us to walk in your family, God. It is what we desperately desire and crave. Lord, and we speak this, not because we've earned it, because we're worth it, because we can come to you by the sacrifice that Jesus made. We can come to you through his blood and say, thank you and help us, God. We say that and we believe that you hear us. And all the people said, amen. 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 Thank you.